1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So, conversations, I believe, are ultimately everything in business. If you're not having a great conversation, you're not going to get an awful lot done. Yes, I realize there's some production and some financial management and a few other things, but 90% of that still happens in conversation. At least that's my view. And by the way, that's probably essential for life as well. Now, some conversations, if we're serious, are exciting and inspiring. Some are difficult, challenging, and others cover a whole range of emotions in between, upside down, sideways of everything. Ineffective meetings, though, which is where most conversations happen, cost $37 billion a year. And I think that's in the US alone. But I will confirm that statistic in just a minute. So, what we're going to talk about today, my favorite topic, How do you have better conversations? How do you have breakthrough conversations? And especially, how do you have effective meetings? So, my guest is Daniel Stillman, and Daniel designs conversations for a living. And I want to emphasize designs and insist that you do too. So, he's an executive coach and facilitator. He works with clients from all shapes and sizes on leadership and team dynamics, as well as on product and organizational innovation. He hosts a wonderful podcast, not nearly as wonderful as this one, but still pretty wonderful, called The Conversation Factory, and he's the author of a book I like, Good Talk, How to Design Conversations That Matter. So Daniel's worked with Fortune 500 companies like Accenture, Cisco, Google, Visa, just to name a few, some nonprofits and government agencies like UNICEF and the New York Public School for Innovation Lab. And a host of others. And he comes to us with a BS in physics and a master's in <laughs> industrial design. Glad to say he lives in Harlem with his wife. And he says a grumpy black cat. Daniel,
2: welcome to the show. <laughs> it's really good to be here, Wanda. Thanks for inviting me for this conversation.
1: I am excited about it. Like I said, it's my favorite topic. Any rate, how could I yeah. not love it? Yeah. Um, and I believe, and I care how much you know about conversations, I think we can always get better and better and better and better. Yeah. So tell me why. Why this topic? Why do you care about conversations? You're a design person. <laughs> well, fair. I started
2: my work in design going to people's houses in suburbia and interviewing them about what they wanted what they needed, product innovation, user research, uh, basically hacking anthropology to try and understand what's going on in the world and how to make better things. Uh, I I don't think I realized it at the time. And I'm, maybe you've had this experience, Wanda, where you ask somebody a question and they give you an answer. And right when you start to open your mouth and take a breath for your, your next question. Cause you think they're done. They take a deep breath and uh, just about start to say something. And then you're like, Oh wait, what were you? Oh wait, no. What were you going to say? Oh, I can't remember anymore. And it's like, Oh my God. I, I mean, I remember this moment and I, I wrote about it in the book because it's crushing. It was, it's crushing in that moment to realize, wait, I wasn't patient enough to find out what they really wanted to say. I mean, first of all, it was my job to get good stuff out of people. And you want to get to your next question and you want to get to all your questions, but in the rush to to, to move on, you can miss out on depth. And I certainly had that aha moment. Also, like, yeah, I I think I just started to, maybe it's because of my physics brain and my design brain, start to look at all of the communications, all the human communications that were part of the process. I'm like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? How do we do this better? Uh, nobody really teaches this stuff. Certainly they don't teach in design school. They definitely don't teach it in physics programs. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you're, you're thrust into the world of collaborative innovation. And it's like, well, how do I get a bunch of people to agree? Like, how do I get the best information for people? How do I find out what they really want? What does the VP really want? What does the VP's boss really want? Well, that turns out that there's all these conversations that are going on that I know nothing about that are uh, uh, creating a force field around all the conversations that I'm having. So I care a lot about it. I mean, it was five years ago, I went to the Harvard University's uh, program on negotiation. It's a friend recommended to me on my podcast. He was like the best professional education experience of his life. Negotiation is absolutely fundamental brand name for what seems like one type of conversation. But then you realize, oh, my God, everything's
1: a negotiation, maybe. So it's everywhere. Uh, I, think it, I think it is everywhere. Negotiation and influence. And Richard Schell, who's at Wharton rather than at Harvard and a yeah. guest on this show a couple of times, would argue that negotiation is one form of persuasion. Yeah. And that sometimes you use negotiation to persuade and sometimes you use a couple of other tactics. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we're trying to get an idea out of somebody, persuade somebody else of an idea, persuade people to change behavior. Yes, I just think that's baked into what we do. Okay, I quoted a number at the beginning: thirty-seven yeah. billion dollars lost yeah. in ineffective meetings. Tell us, tell me about that number. How did you well, come up with that?
2: I, well, it's not my number. I think it's Gardner Research. Uh, it's there's it's footnoted in my in my book, but it's old yeah. research. I mean, you you think about. Uh, that was done before the pandemic, right? Obviously. And uh, the number of meetings that people had uh, skyrocketed, but that's also, it's really hard to measure because there's official meetings and then there's unofficial meetings, right? right? Uh, We used to have a lot more of those where you just sort of, I think the term is buttonholing someone. You're like, "Hey, Wanda, can I have a quick uh, yep. Yep. conversation with you?" You know, you're yep. up and you're going up in the elevator, or you grab somebody's, you 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 pull their uh pull their uh their coat about something. I think it's the other term. And yep. so all of these informal meetings, you say like it's about persuasion or putting a bug in someone's ear, trying to get things done. The idea that you would ask somebody, "Hey, are your meeting? How many meetings do you have a week?" And they're like. Fifteen, and you're like, how effective are they? They're like seventy percent. You're like, okay, so how much is your salary worth? Like, oh, right, x right. hundred thousand. Okay, so let's just take a percentage of your, you know, your ineffectiveness as a percentage of right, your salary right, and multiply. Right. So it's a pretty brute force method to get that number. <laughs> yeah, I think it's much much easier to say like, what's the cost of having bad meetings. Is incalculable. And let's really go back to what, when I say incalculable, yeah. I mean, what's the cost of someone feeling like they can't speak up? Right. Right. What's the cost of someone feeling like they can't uh, express their opinion because of their color or because of their gender? Right. Look at all of the terrible Super Bowl ads that you've seen right? Where you're like, oh my God, how did that get out of the room, <laughs> right? How yes. do you measure the cost of a bad PR decision? We're like, oh my God, who
1: pressed send that on that? Yeah. yeah. Right? right. How yeah. did that how happen? Do we, how do we miss this error in right. our product design? How do we miss this error in our customer services? Hundreds of those. Yeah. So those I are remember- all
2: conversations that happened that uh, did not go as well as they could have. And so Got that's, it. I think 37 billion is a
1: I remember reading that number with um, interest, and I looked over the research that you cite in the book, and they say that they estimated that the average executive has something like 15 hours of meetings a week. Yeah. I think that is grossly wrong because a of my clients have closer to 45 hours of meetings yeah. a week. and. I also know that people are so burned out at the moment, not because of the pandemic, but because of the number of meeting, 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 and I have no time to get my work done. There has to be a better way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to come back to something you said you were talking initially about those first times when you were interviewing consumers and trying to get some product research around design sure. and that you jump in and you ask a question just as the other person is about to speak and give yes. you some clues and insights. Mm. Now you talk about this 200 millisecond, 600 millisecond difference in your book. Yeah. Tell me, tell me the story.
2: Yeah. Well, so, so when I talk about, um, designing conversations, I I just want to put myself in context because having the perspective of an industrial design brain, one of the things they taught us early on in design school is you have to know your material. We did all this, we toured factories and you, you can't make glass do what steel does, right? And you cannot make steel do what glass can do. It's just, they're two different things. And when I started thinking about what conversation design could mean, Almost more than five years ago, I was like, "What is a conversation made out of? like what is the materiality of it? And I think this is one of the things when when people say they 're not good at conversation they they don 't see the matrix right they 're not seeing it as a material that they can shape they just it just it's a's it's something that happens like the ocean it just washes right. over you. The two hundred millisecond gap is surprisingly consistent across cultures that no, no, 200 milliseconds is really short. That's a firing pistol and a sprinter sprinting. That gap is, when, I, when you ask me a question, Wanda, and I wait more than 200 milliseconds, it sounds like dead air, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if I wait more than 200 milliseconds in regular everyday life, people are like, oh my God, Daniel is so overthinking his response. Now this is not just America. This is like, this is global average across the world. And even in sign language, which is even funnier, <laughs> right? Because this is like, this is human brain stuff where you're like, hey, I asked you a question. Where's my answer, Yeah, right? And the joke is uh, 600 milliseconds is about what it takes for us to formulate a reasonable response. So there's 400 milliseconds of garbage that's either me thinking thinking of my response while you are finishing because i can you know as 40 plus years 60 plus years as conversationalists we can anticipate by tone when somebody's sort of finishing up and we kind of know where they're going so we're going to guess so i'm already starting to think about what i'm going to say or i do the thing where you ask me a question and i um or uh well you know that's a and so, having, so, if you want to talk about strategies, at least having a good phrase in your back pocket. Wanda, that's such a good question. I have a few thoughts on that, yeah. right? Just to give your, your brain a moment to catch up. All right. right. So so that's, that's
1: like, and that's just built in, right? That's, that's, that's right. brains and culture. All right. So, 600 milliseconds around the world, even in sign language, is how long yeah. it takes us to formulate an answer to a question. Yeah, two hundred milliseconds is the time we expect between yeah. finishing the question and a response from you. Two hundred milliseconds. Okay. Yeah. All right. That tells you what we're doing. And I swear, in some places, like in New York, it might be less than two hundred milliseconds. Just for the record.
2: Right. So here's here's the the consequence of that. What people don't realize is, you know, there's executives that you and I serve when they're having forty five. Uh, hours of meetings a week, what they're doing is having 45 hours of conversations externally with other people. What they're generally not doing is protecting their internal conversation time, right? right? And when you look at that number of 600 milliseconds, well, it just takes you 600 milliseconds to think of a response to to a question. Like, how long do you think it takes you to think of a strategic plan for the next quarter, right? having time, protecting time, designing time into your life and your schedule. This is um, Paul Graham who wrote about the makers and managers schedule. Everyone's a maker. Everyone is designing their lives. And if you look at your calendar and it doesn't represent your priorities and give you time to think, then that's on you. That's on all of us to design our calendars, to design our conversations, to support the way our brains work so that we can be effective. And that's just from 600 milliseconds. Like that number tells you a lot about how to live our lives.
1: I can imagine so many of my clients are listening to this, just rolling their eyes going, oh, don't I wish. Um, And I'm going to give a reverse, just a comment. I was talking to a very senior executive this week, and his frustration was that his executive team was not thinking about the strategy, thinking ahead in the business, the trends, the derailers, the opportunities, Maybe it's on him to then go back and make sure they have some time to think about. So I'll just leave that pause out there if you're a leader. It's something to think about. Now, I want to pick up another thing that you said earlier, Daniel, um, that internal dialogue. So probably 50% of people will say, I'm just not a natural conversationalist. We will say they're more on the introverted side of the scale. So what's your perspective on that and what's your advice? <laughs> I mean, I think introverts
2: exist uh, or or maybe they don't. I, I think there's a spectrum, right? So most of us are ambiverts. A lot of introverts say, oh, I I just don't get energy from people. Extroverts mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Introverts will also say, uh, well, I, you know, I'm different around people I know. I'm like, mm-hmm. who isn't? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think neurodiversity is the order of the day. And I think, sure. uh, you know, sure. we, we had a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago small talk. Some people hear the word small talk and, uh, you know, just a, their skin crawls and their, mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. brain tightens. And they resist it. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, small talk. I just want to have big talk. I just want to have deep conversations. Yeah. I, I posted this on my LinkedIn profile. It's like, hey, what are your feelings about small talk? And somebody said, well, it's an on-ramp. Of course it's an on-ramp. And realizing that the conversation is not just to serve me and my needs, but the question of who are the other people I'm in conversation with and how do I get the best relationship uh, information out of them. You can't just dive into the deep end of the pool necessarily, right? I think small talk and conversation can be like uh, you know, dipping your feet into the pool and getting or oriented to the conversation. I think there's a lot of mental models that can help people. Okay. And I think that's the biggest challenge. Is that most people say, Oh, I'm not a good conversationalist, but they're not trying to do intentional practice, right? Like I'm okay at guitar, right? Because I've, you know, I've practiced a little bit on my own. If I want to get really good at guitar, I should watch some YouTube videos. I should actually like maybe get a coach and practice and maybe hang out with other people who really love playing guitar. So I think a lot of people will say, I'm not a good conversationalist. I don't know if they've really tried. Yeah. And so a couple of – one thing that I think everyone should try – uh, one person I, I was talking to about this said, oh, I'm just not good at asking questions. I think there's this idea that, oh, in order to be good at small talk or conversation, I have to like, ask a lot of questions. and I have to think of things. My answer is just notice things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, you, you've, you may have seen me do this on one of my first calls. It's like, oh, hey, tell me about that piece of art in your background. And I'm actually curious. Now, here's the difference between ways of doing and ways of being. So the idea, I'm not a conversationalist, and please give me some tips and tricks to improve it, means that now I'm thinking of more things in the moment. I'm thinking about my dislike of conversation and the tips. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually, uh, it's really hard to listen to what someone else is speaking and to be present in the moment if I'm uh, thinking and planning my next move constantly all the while telling myself, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. This is terrible. I'm awful at this. So my first answer, my first suggestion is just uh, take a deep breath and feel your feet on the floor. Mm -hmm. Have a glass of water, Um, relax a minute. Just realize that your ancestors have been doing this for about 40,000 years and that you've totally got this. And the next is just notice something. And then shut up. Listen, being curious is hard to fake and there are no tips for being curious. Curious is an inner state. And so if you want to connect with someone, just be curious and then listen. There's mental models about levels of listening, right? And you can google those. Am I going to listen to my inner talk or am I going to listen to what they're saying or am I going to listen to what I what they what they really mean? Am I going to listen to everything that's happening in the room and their body language? All of that is available, but it's hard to fake curiosity. And it's also really hard to be interested in someone else when you're just focused on your own panic. Right. So that, that's...
1: <laughs> I think that's a great one. The, um, I always say to people that you have to moderate the content and length of the small talk yeah. to match the person you're trying to connect with. So if that's yes. a person that likes to have a lot of small talk, then you better get ready for a good bit of it. And if it's not, then a tiny little bit of it is adequate. But the conversation around common interests, curiosity is where that comes from, is the seeds of trust, in my opinion. It creates common ground. Sure. Whatever it is, we're just expressing a common interest in something. Whether you want to talk about my painting or I want to talk about your soundproofing or whatever it is, you know, right, that I want to talk about. Anything and frequently noticing is a great one. Yeah. Okay. So so
2: can I just say one more thing on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's uh, at least one mental model that I think is really helpful is facts, feelings, insights, and potential. And you can think of it as depth from surface level to a uh, really, really more intense human level. Uh, there's, there's a lot of sources for that, that I've I said in the book to talk about like where, where this model comes from, but this is one of the reasons why people were like, oh, just the weather, right? But oh, the weather's so boring. I don't want to just ask about the weather. You, you can start at that really surface fact level, noticing something that's going on in their horizon is another fact that's going on that's much safer. Commenting on something that's around people is much more than like, oh, Wanda, you look tired. Like, don't notice that. That's actually not a fact. That's an interpretation. You're going way too far too fast. So just noticing the facts around someone or around us is easy. How do you feel about the weather? Are you enjoying the weather, right? Uh, What kind, what's your favorite season? Mm -hmm. Even with the weather, you could just spend literally hours going deeper and deeper and deeper on the weather and learn a lot about someone. Everyone's got a favorite season, right? Why do they like that season? Do they like skiing? Do they like snowboarding? Are they a beach person? Are they a mountain person? This is the concept in the conversation operating system of threading. There are so many threads that you can pull at and weave together to make an interesting conversation. And most people just get panicked or don't see all of the opportunities that are available to them. And the one that you're talking about is cadence. People just having like, can we just get to the real meeting? Like tick, tick, tick versus the like, oh, let's just take a warm bath, light a candle and uh, put some rose petals in this. And let's talk about the weather for an hour, everyone strap in. And that comes from setting expectations, designing the invitation for the meeting. And some people are like, Okay, we've got a 30-minute meeting. Let's get down to it. And that's one of the problems. Right. Those executives that have that many meetings, that are in a 30-minute meeting culture, which means right. there's no time to actually get to know each other, take a deep breath, mm-hmm. deconstruct from the last 30-minute meeting, and then figure out what we're really here to do and then uh, connect with the people we're here right. to do it with. It's hard to do all that in 15 minutes. and
1: yeah, and make a decision and hear three reports and, 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 I think that's part of the problem. Correct. Um, you talk about some barriers that make it difficult for us to have a good conversation. So we've talked about um, not slowing down a tiny bit so that I can yep. actually hear what people are saying. We've talked yep. about not getting the depth, but you have some other ideas about what gets in our way of conversation. So just give me a kind of quick tour of those. Sure. Well, the conversation operating system, the,
2: the canvas that I developed for the book is a way of trying to explain to people what the elements of a conversation are. Mm-hmm. I think one of them, the most powerful one, is power. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people, uh, sometimes there's, there's just a feeling of like, oh, I can't speak up or I can't say that or I can't yeah. ask for that. And the sense that I don't have the power to invite someone to the conversation I want to have. I can't host the conversations I want to have. I can't ask for what I need. I think that's one of the biggest barriers. And when you talk about negotiation theory, uh, most of the challenges in negotiation is negotiation against ourselves, right? Right, right. This is saying like, oh, I couldn't ask for that. Well, now you can't and you won't. And so I think realizing that we have always uh, the power to speak, Mm -hmm. right? That we can speak up, that we can ask for what we want. And it's it's not in our power to to say what someone else is going to respond, but we have the power to frame an invitation to speak our mind. I think that's one of the biggest barriers is uh, self-talk
1: and negotiating against ourselves, bar none. All right. So this concept of power But it's not because I don't have the power. It's because I don't use the power I do have. I talk myself out of the power.
2: Well, so again, maybe I'm a framework junkie, but if you Google the types of power, there's either six types or five types or seven types. Uh, There's authority. There's positional power. Like, oh, I'm not the boss. I don't have the title, so I can't do that. So a lot of people say like, oh, I don't have positional power to do that but we always have like literally the, the actual capacity to do it right uh, depending on where we are you know like you can mute me and i can't unmute myself i don't have that power here right in this in this space but if we're talking about it in an organization i can send an email to anybody i've got the email address of i can call anybody i've got the phone number of if i'm in a meeting i can speak up it's only when we say i don't believe i can do that i don't have the the emotional capacity Or it's going to cost me more than I want to pay, which is why the most powerful power is uh, what's called negative power, the power of just not caring at all. It's really hard (laughs) to to have anything over someone who is just a fundamental anarchist. And so if the willingness to take a risk is the most powerful power. My my friend Greg Larkin wrote a book called This Might Get Me Fired. It's about being an entrepreneur. And yeah. Sometimes you have to be willing to take a real risk to get a real reward, and that is speaking your mind and asking for what you want.
1: Okay. Um, We could talk about power for hours because I think it's one we don't understand, don't appreciate, talk ourselves out of on a regular basis. And we all have, I personally believe, a lot more power than we recognize or can build more power than we recognize how we can do it. Absolutely. I think the strongest power comes from relational power anyway in sort of organizations and you have Correct. control over whether you're going to build that or not build it.
2: Absolutely. The power of being likable in in, um, the, in this, the, this psychological theory of the six types of power, it's called referent power. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to be likable. And in negotiation theory, it's, it's basically the idea of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wants to be seen as deeply unfair or unjust. And so just saying like, hey, can I step in for a moment. Mm-hmm. It's very unlikely that somebody's going to say, no, you can't step in for a moment. Like, <laughs> hey, you know, we, we I don't think uh, everyone's been heard here yet. Can we just take a moment and make sure that everyone weighs in on this challenge? Yeah. And that's using your power for other people, which is right. um, being an ally, which is really important.
1: Okay. All right. Fabulous. All right. So, power in our thinking about our own power, our own self-talk is one thing, thing that gets in the way of good conversations. Yes. What's another thing that gets in the way of good conversations?
2: Well, I mean, we talked about the, the cadence, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Just many, mismatched, well, mismatched pace, right? I, I think actually yeah. one of, the, of our biggest challenges in modern culture is that time is equated to money and that we only have so much of it. Sprint is a great book. Jake Knapp is a great writer, and it's a great tool in the design world and in the innovation world. The idea of doing a sprint and getting together and getting through stuff fast is a lot more attractive than uh, an unsprint, you know, no beast, (laughs) right? And yet, real thinking takes the ability, takes psychological safety, the ability to slow down, uh, Un. Uh, structured time is where some of our best thoughts come in the shower. And so I think one of our biggest challenges is if cadence in conversations, fast and slow, at least in in one spectrum, we're much, much more comfortable over here. And they're like, okay, let's get her done versus the like, Hey, let's slow down and uh, yeah. really languish and enjoy this pace. Right. And that's why we like vacation. Right. 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 But the idea that we could treat ourselves to that kind of spacious thinking and talking at work is really hard. It's almost untenable. The ability to get more than two hours from a group of executives for a virtual offsite is like, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this happened to me recently where they're like, "Okay, so we planned a four hour offsite global uh, brand, their uh, leadership team has, has has in this particular division has some of the lowest uh, operational efficiency scores in the whole organization, and it's taken them almost a year to schedule an offsite to do something about it, which I think is maybe ironic at the very least. Uh, I have a lot of compassion for their situation. We set up that four-hour meeting. Uh, it took weeks and weeks to set it up. It took me weeks and weeks to design a conversation for this team to get together to face the challenge and to start talking about what they could do about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they canceled it <laughs> a day before because they not enough people had far. confirmed. And right. I was like, okay, so now what are we going to do? Yeah. Well, can we do it in two and a
1: half hours, but still get all of the results? Right. Oh, and can we add three more things to it, by the way? It's so My clients right. do all the time. Exactly.
2: And so it's our job as uh, conversation designers to say, no, if you want good results, we have to focus on less, right? And we have to have the right people in the room and not everybody in the room. Uh, we need to have fewer things to talk about and more time to talk about it and, and holding that line on if we want to have a human effective conversation that gives us something surprising, it's going to take more time to slow down, to get focused, and to get to a, a real opening in the conversation. It's not a 30 minute meeting. Yeah. Or maybe it is. Maybe it's 12 30 minute conversations every week for, you know, for three months. Maybe that's the right way to design the conversation. Right? right? Okay, you can't do two and a half. Let's do, let's do t- a 10 minute stand
1: up every day. Sure. Okay. All right, so what I'm hearing from you is to have the kind of conversations that are going to give us breakthroughs, real insight, change, transformation, you know, any of those yes, lovely please. words. please. Wouldn't all, that be nice? We need to slow down our cadence so the busyness is not necessarily helpful at this moment in time. We need to have, be focused so that my mind is on what I'm trying to do, not scattered all over everywhere. The conversation needs to be designed which all means we have to be quite intentional about what we're talking about, how we're talking about, and what the pacing of that is going to do. Sure. Sometimes. It's totally okay to have a fast
2: conversation, right? If we're all aligned and it's a very, and again, if it's a very good design. As my mother likes to say, Daniel, I don't always want to design my conversations. (laughs) And that's fine too, Yeah, right? It's totally cool to wing it. Uh, improv has rules and some right. basic structure, and so you know, knowing that basic structure of diverge and converge can help you even in a an unplanned improvisational conversation, just to go with the the flow
1: of gravity of conversational gravity. Okay, but to me that would be intentional. Yeah, I'm going to intentionally have an improvised conversation, and we'll see where it goes. Right? I know, I know, my, I when I. Your mother wanted my,
2: like my mom didn't like that Inception moment of like wait I, even being being improvisational is a choice and, but again you're talking to the guy who has the design mind right uh, right design thinking is something that I've been helping organizations absorb for you know almost a decade I think design just defined in a different way is just intentionality okay look it's it's totally okay to to the French have a word for it flaneur. it is. A great thing to be a wanderer. Mm-hmm. We love wandering, and I think we need to have intentional wandering and in, and intentional uh, focusing.
1: Um, we're gonna take a break in a moment. I just want to make one comment. I, you know, so many people that I talk to are suffering with burnout or on the edge of burnout, fatigue, yes. exhaustion, low motivation, etc. I am convinced that one of the reasons we're all at our the end of our tether. Is because all of our natural ways of allowing our mind to wander, yeah. whether that's vacation, commuting, going to the gym, having yes. dinner with friends, or have totally. gone, they've all been stripped away. And our brains cannot just stay 100% focused 100% of the time. No, they so cannot. It's a of wandering.
2: Yeah, okay. it is it, like let's design it
1: into our lives. We need some time for it. All right. Perfect place to take a break. My guest today is Daniel Stillman. He um, has a podcast called The Conversation Factory. The book that we're talking about is Good Talk, How to Design Conversations That Matter. And as you can tell, what Daniel is bringing is this whole notion of design thinking to conversations, the things that probably make more of a difference in how we do our business build our business execute our business innovate in our business and if you'd like to know more i'm going to send you to daniel's personal website which is daniel stillman s-t-i-l-l-m-a-n.com we'll be right back when we come back i want to talk about so how now not what's in the way what do i do instead we'll be right back Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement, and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: With me today is Daniel Stillman. The book that we're talking about is Good Talk, How to Design Conversations That Matter. I think what I like about this, what I'm learning from Daniel and from reading the book, is just how much design focus, design um, knowledge, skill we can apply to things like conversations and meetings and Mm -hmm. how impactful that would be. So we've talked about the barriers to good conversations, like um, the need to have different kinds of cadences for different moments in time, some speed up, some slow down, some wandering, some Mm. more focused. We've talked about the power that each of us have, even though sometimes we tell ourselves we don't have as much power as we think Mm. so that we can be stronger participants in a good conversation. And we've talked about the some hints on how to intentionally think about designing conversations, particularly meetings Mm. that get towards the goals that we're looking for. So, Daniel, I want to drill right past all that straight to how. If I want to get better at conversations, how do I do it? Give me any way you want to take that.
2: Sure. So, there's three levels to think about this on. The first is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this concept of triple loop learning. Uh, Are you a a baker, cook? Are you a a cooking person? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a recipe is a really great example of like, okay, well, just tell me what to do and give me a recipe. We all know that when we get a recipe, we don't always get the results we want from a recipe. Mm -hmm. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we could change our altitude right we could just be in different conditions right we might not have a good pan our spices might be stale uh, we might be at the wrong altitude and so it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work uh the other is um you know my wife goes through a recipe step by step and you can get lost if you do that i read a recipe like it's um I don't know, I, I go to the beginning, middle, and end. I'm cooking all parts of the recipe at all times. I'm holding the whole recipe in mind. And so that means, you know, you're chopping the onions and you saute the onions while you're chopping the peppers. Right. For some people, they right. can't juggle those multiple things. So that's the, the doing differently versus the thinking differently. Thinking uh, about all parts of the recipe at the same time. And then there's being, doing thinking and being is the triple loop learning. I can tell you what to do differently. I can tell you how to think differently, or I can tell you how to be differently. And if I just say to you, my coach says this all the time, I can give you all the networking tips I want, and there's mechanical things I can tell you to do, or I can tell you to just be the host, right? And that's an internal move. And so, it's important to realize that there's inner moves and there's outer moves. I, I want to give a shout out to at least to two mentors of mine, Dave Gray, who I had on my podcast Designed something called an empathy map. And an empathy map is about what do we see a person saying and doing, and then what do we think they are thinking and feeling. So there's above the line and below the line. And so, with ourselves as designers of conversations, there's things that we can do that are above the line and things that we can do that are below the line. There are moves we can take that are doing differently. But then the thinking and being that's all below the line is much, much harder to see. Uh, right. Adam Kahane, I'll give a shout out. He just came out with a book called facilitating breakthrough, right? And he talks about these inner and outer moves, as you know. And so I can give you some outer moves to take. And the easiest one, if you look at the conversation operating system, there are nine elements of it. And I, I, I shifted it around a lot before during Uh, and I'm resisting doing it after writing the book. What I used to have in the center of the conversation operating system was invitation. This is the thing that insights that frames a whole conversation. How we invite people into the conversation, into a meeting is the most important thing. And if you ask anybody Should I have a meeting that doesn't have an agenda or a purpose attached to it? The answer is no. Should I go to a meeting that doesn't have an agenda or a purpose attached to it? The answer is definitely not. It is totally reasonable to ask anybody who sends you a meeting invite, hey, what is the purpose and agenda for this meeting? And uh, that is easy to do. Somebody made a very, very hilarious adaptation of, of Google Google's uh, meeting calendar invitation, where you can say yes or no, or what's the agenda. <laughs> Great. And so And so, what this speaks to is how does the interface for our conversations change the conversation? And this is, without a doubt, the one thing that you can do mechanically, the outer move that can transform how you have all of your conversations. Most conversations are what I call air talk. Mm-hmm. Air talk is, we're just talking in the air, we're waving our hands in the air, and air, as you know, doesn't really carry much of a mark, mm-hmm. right? So, the only record of the conversation is the air. Changing the interface for your conversation can transform it fundamentally. Now, here we are in Zoom. This is the interface for our conversation, and you've been using the chat a little bit to send information to yourself and the editor and me. It's there. It's a, it's a grounding of the conversation. Now, very often, uh, as leaders of meetings, as hosts of groups, we think, oh, my God, I have to have the agenda, I have to organize participation, and I also need to take good notes and send a follow-up to everyone. And I say, no, those are jobs to be done, and you can distribute those freely amongst everyone in the room and activate them. Now, what you're doing there is you're actually changing the power dynamics in the group. So power is one of the elements by saying, hey, we're all here to do this. Everyone is going to participate and everyone has a job. You have a job and you have a job and you have a job and you have a job. Everyone's got a job in this room. But if everyone is responsible for recording their own thoughts, it's much, much easier. And I, you've probably seen this in meetings before where there's one person standing by a flip chart and everyone's shouting things at them and they're trying to write it all down. I don't really see the point of that. Everyone has, can give, get a pen. Everyone should write their own ideas down. That's, again, changing the interface for the conversation. I'm a huge fan of tools like Mural to have interactive conversations online, shifting and grounding our conversation so it's in a consistent place so that everyone can see and everyone can participate is fundamental. And some of the best organizations are doing this already. At an organization like Amazon and Google... You have a one-page pre-read where everyone is being silent in their conversations first. And we're all looking at a document and annotating it together. Yeah, So, right. So, I mean, these are just absolutely fundamental things to do. If you just want to like have a better meeting online or in person is shift the interface, have more of them, make that interface stickier, right. Make it, give it a, give it a better memory, And distribute power. Make sure that everyone is activated. Everyone is speaking. And the other one is uh, what I call uh, conversation math or workshop math, if you want to call it that. Like when somebody's like, oh, can we talk about 20 things uh, and we have 30 minutes? It's like, well, no, I don't think we can talk about one thing a minute. If there's 20, 20 things on your agenda and you have 30 minutes, that is me using my, my math brain, right? Like, oh, so like one and a half minutes per topic? No. Yeah. Oh, how many people are in the meeting? 30 people, 30 minutes, and 30 topics. Well, what's yeah. the airtime per person per topic? Like, it's vanishingly small. And so you just got to do some of that math and say, are we, do we have enough time and the right number of people? To have diversity, but enough airtime so that everyone can be heard, so that we can have a worthwhile conversation.
1: I think you're highlighting a key point here. This, I, you know, I love the conversation math. Twenty things on the agenda, or let's just make it simple: ten things on the agenda, (laughs) twenty-five people in the meeting, and we have thirty minutes to get it done and make a decision.
2: Yeah. A lie. You could we're lying just, to ourselves.
1: You're <laughs> you ourselves. Maybe announce 10 decisions in 30 minutes that would be about as much as you could get done. Correct. I think we use too many meetings to report out. Correct. So it's convenient for the convener of the meeting to get everybody in the room virtually or otherwise yes. and say person A tell me what's happening with you, person B, person C, person D, whatever. And basically yeah. nobody else really needs to listen. There's no collaboration. Yep. And there's a and whole people are lot better- of It's a whole lot better ways of using that time. If all you want is a report out, have everybody send you a video with their report out faster. Um, That we should be using our meeting time for when we need to talk. And, you know, everybody is saying we can't get collaboration in this virtual world. Well, actually, I disagree. I think some of the tools like Mural and others – may well give us better collaboration than we can get face-to-face because I can more quickly capture people's ideas at the same time without having to talk over each other. And then we talk about what do we think about those ideas. I think one of the the
2: biggest barriers, again, when we talked about the biggest barriers to uh, our own uh, excellence in conversations is power and asking for what we want. Ironically, one of the things you've highlighted and I think is absolutely critical is the unwillingness to give away power, It is. it does feel great to sit in front of a group and say, I, I know you're all wondering why I've called you all here today. The, the, the classic meeting rejoinder. Yeah, no one should be wondering. And we should be very, very eager to give away power if we do not have enough time. If we feel like we don't have enough time in our day, that means we're not delegating appropriately. Okay. And if we are having too many meetings, it means that we are not delegating appropriately. If, if a meeting can't happen without everyone in the room, that means we haven't really thought about our decision-making rights and actually trust each other to, uh, to talk about it differently. I interviewed a wonderful, wonderful executive, uh, Emily Lovata, on my podcast ages ago, uh, she was at Wayfair. She was head of product at Wayfair. Now she's at Embark, which is a, a veterinary company. And she has this two by two matrix where it's, we talk about trust, amount of trust in the amount we communicate. And you draw a line in the middle. It's like, mm-hmm. obviously, there's a point of burnout where we trust each other a lot and we are talking too much, and which means we should start looking at meetings to delete. Mm-hmm. right? And But we shouldn't get to the point where we have low trust and low communication. We don't want to have... Uh, low trust and high communication. We just add enough communication to the soup of meetings that we have until we can successfully take them away. And this is what I mean by designing our conversations. We have to engineer our calendars and our teams so that people have enough time to do the things that they need to do, including us, including ourselves. Say like, oh, you know what? I empower you to make this decision. And if you make a decision that I don't like, that means either I haven't trained you well, I haven't coached you well, (laughs) I haven't framed the problem appropriately, and so things you can do to have better meanings is have better problem framing capacity. Right. 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 Which is, which, which is part of invitation and asking a good question. Like what is the real challenge here? Show of hands in the audience. Who's ever been to a meeting where they feel like the real problem wasn't being solved. Yeah. Right. I, I, I can see everyone's hands in the audience is raised. <laughs> yeah. Right. We all right. have had that experience. We're like, we're not solving the real problem. we well, ask your team. Right. Right. Do some right. problem framing. Really
1: align on what the real challenge is. I think when teams, organizations have trouble with conflict, one of the things they have missed, and I'm heavily influenced by Adam Kahane on the, on this yes. topic as well. Um, one of the things that I think they have missed is the failing to frame the problem that we all agree is worth spending time to solve. Yes. And that takes some careful framing of it. It's not just, oh, let's go in and fix our customer service. Right. It's you got to do a little bit more than just go fix our customer service. Yeah. And that comes right back to the thing you said that was number one, most important to get better at conversations is to focus more on how you frame the conversation with the purpose, with the um, agenda, with the invitation, and how do you give power away to people in that meeting so that they're doing some of the heavy lifting, not just you.
2: Yeah. Well, right. and also having a better process, okay. you know, a series of conversations that you can ask. Design thinking has some that it proposes, uh, Jean Lidka, who I had on my show, who's a rock star of design thinking. Her, her framework is, what is, what is going on? What if? What are our possibilities? What wows? What would be amazing? And what works? Like, how do we bring it to life? Right? There's, there's a series. It's not just the first question you ask to frame it. It's, this, it's a series of questions you ask. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend, Jay Malone, who has a company called New Haircut, uh, he, and there's many tools for better problem framing. A series of questions you ask in order to say, oh, well, who is affected by this challenge? Mm-hmm. Right? What are all of their concerns? What does right. a real success look like? Why do we want it? What are all the solutions? Who else is doing a good job of this in the world?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? That's, uh, I mean, these are all these are all design thinking tools. Uh, right. And it's and a process to say like a workshop. It's a it's a it's an agenda to say hey let's ask these five questions. Let's spend twenty minutes for each question. And at the end of that time, we will have a better perspective on what problem we're really going to solve. But that looks like doing nothing. Right. This is the problem. This is like going slow to go fast. Is seems like kind of anathema. The 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 CEO of this this brand that I was working with, he was like, wait, so we should slow down. I'm like, no, go fast, but in an, in appropriate direction. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do a, do a problem framing sprint, ask everyone what they think, have everyone bring a straw man to the meeting and then map it up. Right. right? This is all intentionality to making sure that everyone gets heard and thinking, uh, what do I really want to get out of the time? with these people is it to announce right. my decisions that's not a good use of anybody's time as you said just send a video right <laughs>
1: okay um there are too many things in that one that i want to pick up i just want to repeat a couple of these questions you <laughs> said from gene lidko what is oh what yeah gene Litka. Uh, yeah what yeah. is what if what
2: wows and what works um that's from a book that she wrote uh more than almost a decade ago, her her latest book is called uh, "Experiencing Design." I just had her on my show. She's a Great. rock star in, in design. design
1: okay, and then you said, "Who's affected? What are their concerns? What does success look like?" Sure. Who does this well, and what are our options? <laughs> sure. And those are just some that I rattled off my… I know. Those are really pretty good ones. I rather like that one. Uh, people can also me.
2: Google um, abstraction laddering. That's one of my favorite. Like, if you want to put up a, a poster and say, okay, here's the challenge. Uh, why? And then how? That's the, one of the… Abstraction laddering is one of my favorite, easy to use. Like, oh, why do we want to solve this problem? Uh, what are all the reasons why and what are all the ways how? It's a, it's a very secret brainstorming tool which can get people to align and map the, okay. the problem space.
1: It strikes me that everyone I have ever talked to or read or interviewed, you know, Richard Pascal on positive deviance, John mm-hmm. Ott, um, Adam Cohane, I mean, a whole range of people who work in very complex, often chaotic problems. Yes, the only way you get through a complex problem is by slowing you down to focus on each of these steps rather than just running ahead. Because yes. otherwise you run ahead to what we already know as opposed to what's going to make a difference.
2: Yeah. Well, and also keep in mind our brains don't function well in emergency mode. We They, right. they function reflexively. So if you want to create psychological safety, if you, you know, it, it's what creates excellence in teams. Everyone knows this. You need to find ways to slow down and to get people centered in themselves, so that you get the best out of them. So, great,
1: it's required. Okay. All right, Daniel, one minute. My favorite last question: What takes you out of your comfort zone, and uh, how do you manage? <laughs> you know, it's really funny.
2: I had an experience this week. I would joy. Surprisingly, I need to increase my capacity for joy. My wife and I were in Bloomingdale's. We had a gift check to spend. We're trying to find something worthwhile. And she's like, look at that pizza oven. I want that. And I felt my stomach twist where I was like, oh, that just seems impractical and a lot of money to spend on this thing. And it took me a second to get up to speed and really tap into my joy. I think we should all know more about what makes us joyful and make more time and space for that thing.
1: Fabulous. All right. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in touch?
2: Uh, They can find me on LinkedIn. There are not that many Daniel Stillmans. Uh, They can find me at danielstillman.com or they can reach out to me on Twitter at DA Stillman.
1: Uh, Perfect. Daniel, great conversation, at least from my point of view. I love, I think the thing that I'm really taking away is that I have got to go back and look at design thinking in a deeper depth. You've totally sold me that design (laughs) around conversations, around innovations, around questions, around problems, around conflict is where we can make some real traction. So, I really like the notion of the different kind of questions that you could ask people to get them to think differently. So, thank you for being a guest today. I really have enjoyed it. Thank you for letting me proselytize. Anytime, anytime, (laughs) especially when it's around conversations. If you've enjoyed our podcast today, please like us on your favorite podcast player. If you want to hear more about how to apply these ideas, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com and definitely join us next week for another episode. We'll see you then.
0: Thank you for joining us today.